ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to welcome you to today's episode. Uh, Before we get into today's today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. If you've got questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, please contact us. Email me at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org or tweet us at sfdiocese hashtag ignition. Again, the email address cbergwald, C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org or tweet us at sfdiocese hashtag ignition. How you doing, Father? Hashtag. Pretty well. Good. Glad to hear it. Happy feast day. Hey, thank you. It's the uh, We're recording this on Wednesday, August 6th, which is the, um, the Feast of the Transfiguration. Uh, Father, I, 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 uh, I forgot to mention to you before we record, I feel, I feel sad for your namesake today. Because he's excluded from excluded. the crowd? Excluded! Again, as I've said to you when we've Jesus done... took Peter, James, and John, but not Andrew, not, up to a mountain to pray. And Andrew was one of the first two, for goodness sake. Jesus. Hey, you know, that's okay. <laughs> that others might be preferred more than me, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. So, so we're, uh, we're, we're, we're observing this great feast of transfiguration. It's one of the luminous mysteries of the rosary. Uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto Mount Tabor. And is transfigured. Um, the 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 divine glory revealed for a, a short period of time. So, uh, uh, something to, uh, beautiful to reflect on, wouldn't you say, Father? Very much so. I love it. It's uh, in fact, actually, uh, my favorite art piece. Uh, my part of my favorite painting of all time is Raphael's Transfiguration. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do the internet search for Raphael's Transfiguration. It's a it's a powerful piece of art. I like it. To bring it down and put it uh, in front of the altar for Mass this evening. Oh, very nice. Look at that. There you go. I mean, not the the original. I don't own the original of Raphael's Transfiguration. (laughs) This would be a print copy, and it's actually only a portion and much reduced in size because it's like 12 feet tall and 8 feet wide. Just to be clear, because if you did have that, that'd be really opulent for you to have in your... uh, in your possession. In my home. Yes, yes, yes. So, <laughs> but back to the Transfiguration. So one of the cool things about the Transfiguration is we also have this like little rebuke of Peter that goes on, because Peter is like, Lord, it's good that we be here. Let's make three homes, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and, and the response doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from the Father. Right? Am I right? You're right. <laughs> Well, actually, I mean, the, the response is really nothing. Like, Jesus basically ignores Peter. Right, right. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yes, this is my beloved son. Listen to him, is that, if I recall correctly. That's at least one of the, uh, the, the scriptural accounts. But build three houses. So, Father, that, uh, that applies to our topic for today, doesn't it? Well, yes, kind of. It's really, listeners, it's really a, a bad transition, but... That's that's what we're about at Ignition, Father. It's a poor transition, and that's what that's what we're about. Bad segues. That's our tagline. Ignition, a radio show for the podcast, uh, new evangelization, and bad segues. Bad segues, and by bad segues, I don't mean like morally bad vehicles that you can white ride on two wheels. (laughs) Is that the segue? That you are. That is the segue. That is the 
Segway. Remember when the guy invented the Segway? He's like, this is going to transform the world. Yes, I do. I was really excited to hear about this amazing invention that was going to, to as you said, transform the world. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it did. I don't think it did either. Much like this Segway. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so we thought we'd be, uh, dear listeners, we thought we'd do a little Segway since, uh, 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 this week, kind of in church discussions, I mean, you might see this if you're uh, at your water cooler discussions, or maybe you saw someone, if you're one of those online people with a smartphone, uh, you might have heard people talking about uh, the opulent houses of bishops. Yeah, this is an article that I saw, and I, I don't know if it was it original to CNN, Father? I believe it is original to CNN, yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw it online, and then uh, you um, you emailed me about it um, uh, shortly after that. Um, so obviously, I know we aren't the only two people who've read it either. There's certainly some conversation about this because uh, it's, it's it's a critical article. Uh, it, it's uh, critiquing bishops and their lavish residences, opulent, opulent residences, opulent, opulent being the key word. Yeah, so when you're opulent, then you yeah. automatically think one percent. Right. Yes. Yes, we do. Um, so it goes through uh, a number of, of archdioceses in the United States, um, and and through public records, they they uh, estimated or, or, or found the actual, um, or in some cases they had uh, uh, they had used assessors, but they, they calculated the um, the article, or not the article, the, the value, the worth of of these bishops' residences. Um, on on uh, and put it online. This they calculated it, listed all these different residences, and and that's what this article basically is: is, is cataloging these various archbishops' uh, residences around the country. Right, and so just kind of making it all known. This is the value of the house that this or that bishop lives in. Both right. the archbishops, right? Uh, yeah, I think they all arch arch yeah archbishops. I think so. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, the article itself really isn't worth reading, I don't think, in and of itself. Would you agree? That's well, my, I, I, that, that was my I, would you agree voice. <laughs> I, I heard the question at the end. I, I mean, I, I guess not. If you're curious about it, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be immoral to read it. No, no, no. I mean, just, you're not missing out if no, you haven't read it. No, no. You're right. I mean, if you, it, 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 it maybe, maybe, dear listener, it's 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 news to you. Um, there are bishops' residences, archbishops' residences that are that are worth, uh, in some cases, multi millions of dollars. If that's proper grammar, uh, multi millions of dollars. Multi millions of dollars. Sure. Sure. Um, and that's basically that. That in 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 one sentence is what this article catalogs. And so, and just critiquing those, those residencies, and you know, um, and so, but just be good to talk about it, just because it's uh, other people are talking about it, and uh, uh, to just explain some things, and just maybe a first thing would be to say that, like, we're not saying CNN is bad. Nope. No, I mean, in fact, they actually did a really good video presentation. Uh, my brother sent it to me on uh, Christians being persecuted in the Mosul area. Just uh, on Monday or Tuesday, he sent me that video link. Yeah, in Iraq. So, um, yeah. So, yep. so as you said, it's not a it's it's not a, um, a, a rebuking uh, CNN in mass or, or for for everything they do. As you said, not saying CNN is is bad. Period. And it's not that uh, bishops are above critique. 
Right. Yeah, there's a well-known, uh, well, relatively well-known, probably just as well-known as, as, as this uh, article is, instance of, a, of a, uh, a bishop in Germany last fall who was removed from, from his ministry, at least in that diocese, uh, because of the opulency of, of his residence and the, the, the tens of millions of dollars that he had decided to spend on renovations in his, his own uh, bishop's residence. Right. And so uh, that is, I mean, in, and, you know, I mean, as Christians, you know, taking criticism is part of the game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think sometimes, that's, I'm glad you said that, Father, because sometimes I think we, we do, we get a hair trigger response. And, and, and on the one hand, we, we shouldn't, I mean, we, we have to, as we're, we're going to do today, you know, point out some, some, the other side of the story in, in some instances. On the other hand, we, we have to, you know, recognize that uh, sometimes we're, we're, Jesus said we would be persecuted. And now this is obviously a very mild form, mild, mild, mild level of persecution, but an attack uh, is to be expected. What our concern isn't so much, you know, oh, you poor bishops. Right. That's not why we're doing this. We'll get to, like, kind of, I think, a yep. real reason at the end. Yep. It's called a teaser. Listen... So at the end of it, we'll get to kind of our real concern of why we want to talk about this and defend this. But our concern isn't that these bishops' feelings are going to be hurt. Right, exactly. And the other right. thing, too, I mean, in our own country, there have been at least a, a couple instances, I think maybe more even, uh, of, of, of where uh, bishops, for a variety of reasons, have chosen to sell um, their their large residences or or highly valued residences uh, again for a variety of reasons. So so two instances that I'm aware of: Archbishop Charles Chaput, um, who's the Archbishop of Philadelphia, and um, Cardinal O'Malley um, in Sean O'Malley in in the Archdiocese of Boston. Both of them, for for various reasons, chose to sell their expensive, um, highly valued. Uh, bishops' residences and and uh, live in in much simpler housing now. And did the article mention them? Um, I think it may have. Oh, I, I do think it. I do think it did early on, or at some point in there. I thought I saw reference to them. So a rare, break. but there is uh, someone who the article did mention uh, as kind of like the the poster child of anti opulent. Yes. Or kind of their uh, their stick with which to beat the archbishops. Yes, and his name is Father Dickinson. He is a... Oh, wait, no. And I live in great simplicity. Yes. <laughs> which may be true, but that's not the poster child, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. No, the, so the poster child, uh, I, I was not mentioned in the CNN article. No. Not the poster the... child is His Holiness. Pope yep. Francis the oh, first. The, no, he's not... Well, not formally, Father. It's, you have to, he's not the first until there's a second. Okay, yeah. I mean, once again, and, and we heard we've heard this um, several times in, in the context of of simplicity and living simply. Pope Francis, since he was elected um, as, as the leader of the church, as as the bishop of Rome, as the pope, uh, has chosen to live in the one of the residences, sort of the the uh, hotel slash residence for Vatican some Vatican employees, um, the, the Domus Sancte Marte, the 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 house of of Saint. Martha, rather than living in the the what's called the, the Apostolic Palace, the the residence of the popes, um, popes the last 
many, I don't know how many popes have been living in this this particular part of the Vatican uh, building, uh, the Vatican campus, if you will, uh, for decades, centuries, maybe. Well, uh, since Pope Leo the Thirteenth, I think most recently. Okay. Because there actually was a, a, a pope in the Middle Ages who thought that it was beneath him. <laughs> I think it was maybe one of Pope Julius's who thought it was beneath him. <clears throat> so he refused to live there, and so Pope Leo the Thirteenth, who was the great champion of uh, workers in the Industrial Revolution, Pope Leo the Thirteenth is the one who moved back into it. There you go. So. So, so there's been some. So it's called the apostolic. I mean, to the name itself, Father, it's, it tells us well clearly this must be a uh, uh, a very opulent residence. It's called a palace, for goodness' sake. Palace. Um, but in point of fact, um, well, it is. I mean, it's obviously it's it's an ancient building. It's 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 beautiful in that way. But uh, we know that that well, most if not all um, of our recent popes lived within the apostolic palace, but in a very simple lifestyle. Right. And like some people have even talked about how like the furnishings when say Pope John Paul II was in there were really quite meager and quite simple, um, and uh, you know there's, there's some great stories like of Pope uh, Saint John the Twenty Third, like when he was moving into the Apostolic Palace of how he uh, was helping some of the laborers who were moving some of his stuff in, picking up half a trunk and things like that and helping to move it. Exactly, and I remember you know when when Saint Paul Saint John Paul II died, you know his last will and testament, there wasn't much there. <laughs> you know, I mean, in terms no. of, <laughs> he didn't own very much at all. Yeah, um, he, he, he lived didn't have a uh, fancy uh, mahogany uh, bedroom set to give to someone. Exactly. I mean, it's in, in some ways similar. I think maybe for for us as Americans, we might think of the White House as an example. I mean, it, it doesn't belong right now to Barack Obama. It doesn't. It didn't belong to George W. Bush before him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They lived there, um, but 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 it doesn't belong to them. Similarly, so the Apostolic Palace is the residence of of the the popes. But in many ways, I mean, how how was that? Built it was built by the the contributions of the the the, the faithful from throughout Europe certainly if not the rest of the world. So so why does Pope Francis hate the opulence of the Apostolic Palace then? Well, exactly, and he clarified that. I mean, he himself was very clear last year in an interview. He he simply likes to live with people. His his personality is such that he wants to live with people. The Apostolic Palace Palace is a bit isolated, frankly, in terms of a living arrangement. And his own personality, he said very clearly that he, he, he for his health, he, he, I imagine, psychological, emotional health, which is related to physical health, he, he wants to live in the Domus to be, to, to be living with other people. Right. So he just prefers that sort of, that sort of arrangement. And he still uses the Apostolic Palace for a lot of his work. Right. And he, it's like he goes to the office every day. I mean, that is, right. yeah, that, that is where he goes for his work, as you said. And so I think it's just good to clarify that. And so this, this author of this article uses Pope Francis as kind of the stick with which to beat uh, various archbishops. But he, he, he's kind of missing the point. And there's more than, uh, more than meets the eye in Francis's own uh, living decisions. Exactly. So, I mean, so having clarified that then, Father, what else can we say about, so, so looking at, 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 and not the specific examples, but just the approach that this article takes, it, what is the other side of the story in terms of, you know, looking at, 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 at a bishop's or archbishop's residence, uh, at least here in our country? Yeah, well, I think, again, like with Pope Francis' decision, there's more than, see, there's more than just a price tag. 
uh, on some of these homes. Now, the author tries to reduce it, it appears, to just you know price tags. Right. But there's more to a price tag than meets the eye. Now, I'm sure many of our um, you know uh, uh, listeners would be familiar with like stories of people who owned a, a very modest home in California who sold it and then were able to buy much bigger properties somewhere else in the country. Right. Because of just the difference. Uh, I was talking with uh, some relatives of mine at a family wedding. We're talking about uh, 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 home purchases out east. I've got some cousins who live in New York City and Boston area. And home prices out there are just totally different. And apartment prices totally different than they are uh, here in uh, the Midwest. Definitely. Uh, and in fact, you've one, I have one cousin who's, I think they decided to move back to the Midwest because part of it was they could actually buy a home for their children. Right, right. <laughs> you know, instead of living out east. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's a different sense to prices in that sense. Well, not saying that, you know, well, they're on the east coast, they're wrong. They often are. Just kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> if, you, if you're happy to listen to this from the east coast, uh, on behalf of Father Dickinson, I apologize. Complaints can be addressed to cburgwall.org. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's just a different reality. And two, a lot of those, you know, uh, I think of uh, St. Patrick's and the residence near there in New York City, which is on Fifth Avenue. I don't know. I don't, I've never seen the residence itself for the Archbishop of New York. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, on Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, now, when that was built and made, you know, was Midtown Manhattan what it is today? Right. You know, I don't think it was. Um, and so they've had that property for a long time. And since then, values certainly kind of go up. Right. And, 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 and you know, as, as, as you had said um, when we were discussing this, it's not as if they're rebuying it every year. I mean, it, it was built, the land was purchased, the residence was built near the cathedral, uh, decades and decades ago in this instance um, and, and it was bought then and yes it might be worth a lot now but but it's not as if that money is being spent uh, continuously right or, or that, that each new bishop and then that the bishop gets to take it with him when, when he retires right that either or, exactly right or that he gets to sell it for a gain when he's moved to a different diocese right right um, and so he uh, uh, so that uh, so that value stays there and stays with the diocese, and that's kind of this uh, a notion that you know when people when authors suggest these sort of things, they're kind of insensitive to uh, the sacrifices made in the past. What do you mean? Well, I mean, so these different bishops' residences are usually made uh, by the sacrifices and monetary gifts of the people of God. Right. Okay. And so they made these gifts. They made these sacrifices. Uh, I had just contacted our diocese because I had made a five-year pledge to the cathedral restoration here in our diocese of the cathedral uh, church itself. And uh, now that that pledge is up, I'm you know going to do some different things with my with my generosity. Uh, I'll, I, I'm happy to to take any pledges at this time. Uh, sorry, what was that? Uh, uh, oh. I don't know if I quite heard you. Okay, seem to be breaking up. <laughs> Maybe there's something wrong with the uh, line producer. Maybe, maybe. Oh, you're back. You're yeah, back. Okay. Um. <laughs> so right. So and so all these people in the past who have given their gifts to honor the church, to honor the bishops, to uh, and to and to and, and to be a source of pride. Maybe they didn't like the bishop himself, 
but you know, man, hey, I'm a Catholic, and I want the Catholic Church to have the, you know, this really great place that we can be prideful of. Right. You know, especially think about uh, some of the anti-immigrant um, things that went on in those days against the Irish and the Italians, and, you know, they're like, no, we want to build this place up because we're a part of American life. Yep, exactly. Our governor has a great uh, uh, building to honor the office of the governor. Why shouldn't our bishop? Yep. So I think kind of the article a little insensitive to those gifts of the past. Yeah, and that's, you know, sometimes you, I mean, I've heard some of our priests talk about, you know, some of the, the, whether it be a physical structure or works of art, the patrimony of the church, the patrimony of the parish or of the diocese, maybe, where, as you said, this is, this is, this is the fruit of the uh, the work, the blood and sweat of past generations, and we have to be very careful about you know what we do with that, um, respecting and recognizing the sacrifices they made they made in the past for for those various reasons that you mentioned. And nothing tied with that, which ties closely to it, is the whole idea that some of these are historical sites, right. You know, and, and then many of them sometimes attached physically to the cathedral itself, which has some historical value. And so it's hard to simply alienate that property um, and get rid of it or to uh, to make certain changes to it. Okay, so granting that, though, Father, I mean, but in some case, we're talking about, you know, thousands of square foot of residency for one guy? Well, it's, uh, well, it's quite often not just one guy. Quite often there's... Uh, other priests who live there, maybe priests who are assigned to work at the cathedral or work at the chancery, might have their residences there. Um, sometimes uh, there might be uh, uh, some people who are employed in other ways who live there. And oftentimes, too, they're used as uh, to host guests, guests of the diocese, guests of the bishops, uh, priests, missionaries who might be coming through. There might be uh, religious sisters who have a portion of the house. Uh, to live in. So there's a lot of uh, things that might be going on behind those walls that you don't see. Right. And I mean, I know in some cases, you know, offices, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. literally work done in the home. And as you, I mean, I like the way that you described it. In many many ways, um, a, a bishop's or archbishop's residence is oftentimes a public home. Um, I, I remember a couple of year, a few years ago now in our diocese, um, Bishop Swain. Uh, it was it was around the first of the year. It was in January, um, a couple of years back. Invited people to come in and tour and see this. The, the, it, it, it's it's not opulent on this the sort of scale we're talking about here, but it's a very nice home, historic home. Um, and he invited the public in to come and literally tour um, the the bishop's residence to see you know how it was made and the different woods and so on that were used. Um, so it, you know not and public not just for those tours, but as you said. Oftentimes there are events that are held in a bishop's or archbishop's residence, all sorts of different uses that are, it's not just one guy living on his own in in thousands of square feet. Well, and you think about it that way, too, it's actually, in some ways, um, depending on a person's personality, so Pope Francis is a person who really likes to be around people, there's other personalities that are not, it's not sinful to be uh, shy. No, exactly. And so, you know, imagine your personality if you're a bishop, and you may be shy, more reserved, you like some alone time, and yet you live in a house like this where there's an expectation of things being hosted there and guests coming through and uh, things like that. And so uh, it's, it's not as posh, maybe, as it sounds. Exactly. So, so why, with that as sort of, you know, again, sort of the other side of the story, what, what are some of the potential, I mean, we don't know the 
I don't know literally what the the intent of the author was in doing so, but but it's possible at least to to point out some potential misunderstandings or how how these things could be used or misused uh, against the church. Right. So I mean, well, the author might have just been ignorant. Yep. And maybe the author just didn't do a lot of research into the actual life of the bishop and to the actual Pope Francis's own statements about his actual living situation. That could very well be um, what was going on. Could. Yep. Or, or you know, I think um, just uh, w- with a grain of salt, uh, there's a possibility that, and, and this is, I think, the reason to fulfill our teaser, this is the reason we want to talk about this, is sometimes there's a desire uh, to distance uh, from people outside the Church or outside the, the purposes of the Church. There can be a desire to tr- create distance between the people of God and their bishops. So, so between average lay Catholics and the bishops of their diocese, right? So to create tension, to create uh, a difference, you know, in the United States right now, there's a lot of uh, uh, one of the biggest insults you can give to someone these days is to be opulent. Right, right, right. Even though we talk so much about taking care of yourself and prize that uh, uh, above maybe any other personal discipline. Yep. But uh, it is kind of a great insult these days to say that someone uh, lives in an opulent or luxurious lifestyle. And uh, so I think it, it just seems in the way the article is written, it could, whether deliberately or not deliberately, create distance between uh, and distrust by f- between lay Catholics and their bishops, or lay Catholics directed towards their bishops. And and whether or not that's the intent of this this author, we know that that's the desire of of some people in our country today to right. to create the distance to to isolate bishops from their flocks from from the people of their diocese. Right, and then, which is which has always been kind of a tactic of uh, the spirit of this world and the spirit of Satan, which is active in various ways. You know, you go back to the garden. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the fruit of the trees in the garden? Right. So this idea of sowing doubt. And so, well, why should you trust your bishop when he talks to you about a living wage, or he talks to you about family size, or he talks to you about this or that, when he lives in this mansion? Yep. And so, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, we, need to, we need to be on guard against those sorts of things. Yeah, our, our bishops, as 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 the the office of the bishop, they have certain in, in the church juridical authority. They have authority because of the office they hold. But they also, in some ways, just as important, maybe in some ways more important than their juridical authority, is the the moral authority they have. And so, so people could use this article uh, to to attack the, the and delegitimize the moral authority of our bishops. Right, which. And moral authority is very important for the sake of public witness, and I think, listeners, you're aware of this. You know, who are the people you listen to? You know, you listen to someone who talks about the gospel who seems like they're living the life of the gospel. Precisely. And so, and so to attack that, attacks that ability to, to preach about the gospel. Right, so, and that's, that's important. You know, there, there's oftentimes another side to the story when it comes to articles about the Church. Um, right, and so it's just good for us to be uh, sensitive to that. Exactly. And so, so that's just you know, some other thoughts and, and things to be attentive to uh, if you come across discussions like this about things like uh, the wealth of the church. Uh, and with that, that'll wrap up 
this episode of Ignition. Again, if you want to contact us, email us, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org, C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org, or tweet us at sfdiocese, hashtag Ignition, with any thoughts, questions, or topics for future episodes. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.